Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Wild Plant Culture Podcast. This conversation is with Carl Anderson. Carl is an elder in the best sense, someone who's lived a full life, delved deep and come up smiling, and sometimes cursing too. He's always been generous about sharing his wide interests and experience in natural history. Here I ask Carl about his life story from being a city kid to a draftsman, to the director of a nature center. We talk about changes in botany and in the plant world, about sharing versus secrecy when it comes to rare plants, about being an educator, and about some of his many travels to interesting natural places around North America and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by Wild Ridge Plants. We started Wild Ridge to offer a toolkit for the restoration of native plant communities, including a native plant nursery, botanical surveys and stewardship planning, as well as classes, hikes, presentations, and publications. Check us out online at wildridgeplants.com. Thanks everyone who has sent feedback or joined the Wild Plant Culture Facebook page. I'm looking forward to hearing from more of you sometime soon, so don't be shy. You can reach me at jared at wildridgeplants.com. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Carl Anderson. Carl, do you mind saying a couple of nonsense words towards the general direction of your microphone? Twas Brillig and the slithy tubs that gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves and the moam rats outgrave. Is that sufficiently? I clearly asked you the right question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is? Jabberwocky? Yeah. Way back when, I used to hang around in Greenwich Village, and there was a little cafe called the Rienzi Cafe, and they had that po- that poem posted or on their menu or something like that. And you were in the habit of memorizing I don't poetry know. and yeah, well, the yeah, like. yeah, your poems, yeah, to to a degree, to a degree. I mean, you say a botanist has got to have good memory. I think it's a yeah. select. I think it's a selective memory. I can't m- remember people for damn for, for anything, but show me an obscure plant in the right setting, and I'll remember it twenty years later. You subbed in one for the other. You were given a choice. Hmm? Yeah. You were given a choice, and you decided on the plants. Yeah, yeah but uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, a little bit, little bit of background. Uh, yeah. So you grew up in New York City. Never, and yeah, raised, in raised in New York there. City, and. Which seems like an unlikely, unlikely, unlikely place for a, for a naturalist I think to grow it's a up. Terrible yeah, place for some very fine naturalists have been <laughs> born and raised in New York City. I think Roger Toy Peterson may even have been been from there. Seems fair. A but, lot of people uh, from New York. Uh, various, so so sort of a sort of a uh, latchkey kid to his two. Actually, they gave us a little. I think they may have given us a little better environmental education at public schools in, in the 1940s than the kids get now. You know, They took us out and they showed us the street trees and they took us up to the local high school and walked us through the biology lab and I think they, they tried. Yeah, you know? that's decent. And I was, was kind of a, a latchkey kid and one of the things that, that formed me in a sort of sense was sometimes I needed a place to kind of hide out and I had two two options. I could go diagonally across Central Park, and I'm a mile and a half to get to the American Museum of Natural yeah. History, 
where I could go up uptown about two miles and get the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And amazing, you were a school kid in New York, you had free access to those. Yeah. So I've often thought that if I had lived closer to the Met, I'd be an archaeologist. You see, <laughs> I never got, I never got, I never got much above the Egyptian and, you know. Ancient Middle East, it's just something about those winged That was the coolest part yeah. of the Met anyway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the American Museum of Natural History, somewhere along the line, they came up with this Hall of the North American Forest. And I, mean, I know you've yeah. probably yeah. been there, and they got about 10 dioramas representing, you know, the canyon country with red rocks and a pure mold stretched out on a, on a ledge and the southern swamps with bald cypress and that sort of thing. And that 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 got to me, you know. Like I was maybe twelve years old, thirteen years old. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to I'd like to be neat to see those. Yeah. Well, I've been there, done that. Okay. You have traveled a lot. Now, I didn't haven't been messing around with. I haven't been involved in, let's say, na natural history professionally for my entire life. I've been tw spent twenty years on a drawing board as a draftsman. Started, work, started working at 17 after school. You could do those things in that days. So I did that for 20 years, and it fed me, and I raised four kids on it. And somewhere along the line, they said, well, I'm going to change my, change my options. And the logical thing, of course, would have, would have been going into engineering. But I already had you know, a fair amount of interest in, in, in interest and knowledge in natural history. So, well, I think I'll go into the environmental sciences and maybe become a, a biology teacher. So I'm yeah. glad I didn't go into the teaching field, from what I hear, but I, I, did, I did change my interests. And I wound up director of a nature center for the New Jersey Audubon Society. I started a new center down in West Hampton, Mount Holly, New Jersey. Really. Yeah. So before and we even get there, Carl, I'm going to interrupt you a bunch because yeah. I, I want to get into the details. At, well, let me rewind as far back as I can for starters. Your parents were both working when you were a kid in New York City? I didn't, yeah, well, they were. I didn't see my father very much, though. They, my, okay. my parents separated, so my gotcha. mother was working. So I was, I was left alone quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, not exactly a latchkey kid because she was working nights, so I, I, you know, but uh, yeah. So she, well, she, they were both, both Swedish, and she was interested in nature, and she knew about Linnaeus, and she knew the Swedish names of plants, and she'd take me to Central Park, and I'd run around a little meadow where the skating rink is now, and look at clovers and bees and butterflies, you know, and that kind of thing. And, so you know she didn't she was she was formative you know she didn't she didn't come down on she wasn't down on, on yeah, nature you don't know. get dirty car i was not pressured <laughs> to go play soccer or anything like that you know did she get that interest in plants through formal education or was that just growing up in rural sweden or where where was she coming from well i suppose i don't exactly know what the swedish educational system was at the time i would assume she went through what would have been equivalent to high school. Yeah. Because she cert she certainly knew the, she certainly knew the plants, and she 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 sort of she mentioned Linnaeus to me quite quite often actually. So yeah, she knew, you know, not formally, but it was it was it was a good formal 
form, good, good informal introduction to, to the subject. And she, she talked to you primarily in English? Yeah, or, yeah. Did you have siblings, or was it just, hmm? did you have siblings, or? No, my only child. That, 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 that probably has a, an influence on you, too. Leave, a, leave, leave an only child alone in an apartment in an apartment all night with, a, with, with an encyclopedia to read. Yeah. It, it changes you. <laughs> you know. Another, another formative thing here involving, you know, spreading out my interest. When I, when I started working for Audubon, I lived in, we lived, at that point it was Liz, me, and, you know, uh, rather, well, my first wife and me and, and four kids. Okay, so we lived in the same building not even on this, not the same premises, actually in the same building as the nature center. Yeah. We had the second floor. So that means you cannot possibly stay home on vacation. No matter what you tell people, no matter what you yeah. tell the staff and say, I'm on vacation. Nah. You know, two hours away. into it, somebody will be knocking on your door saying, Carl, there's a man down here, very nice man, he wants to tell you all about his chickadee. <laughs> now, I've heard about this chickadee before, and I think I admire the guy, and I love the guy, but you know, I'm on vacation. I've worked, six, I've worked, was probably working 60 hours a week average. Okay? Yeah. So I say, okay, you got to travel, got to get out. So I say, well, how far can you travel in maybe a day and a half of pretty solid driving, let's say 600 miles, 650 miles. New Jersey's a pretty good focal point for that kind of thing. If you go northeast, you wind up in Acadia National Park. Yeah. If you go, no go north, you go through the whites and the greens and you get up into northwest kingdom of Vermont. Yeah. If you go northwest, you cross the border at Buffalo and you wind up in the Bruce Peninsula or Algonquin National Park, this, you know, famous botanical locality. You go due west, you go West Virginia, you wind up in the southern Ohio where the prairie meets the deciduous forest. You go southwest, you're in near the Blue Ridge, and if you go as due south as you possibly can, you go in Carolina Low Country, so you have a Tremendous, yeah. tremendous diversity, and, and I always found it interesting to see how do how do how does the environment gradually change? You know, it's not like you. It's not like you. I mean, I've, other reasons have been all over all over places, yeah. but it's not like you drop down suddenly in a hilltop in Swaziland and you feel like Joseph Banks. You know, like everything is strange. You know, you you if you know, say the New Jersey Pine Barrens, and you get down to like the Low Country. Well, that's yeah. that's also Pine Barrens. You you're probably nodding, have a nodding familiarity with fifty percent of the species. Yeah. And going north, the same kind of thing. You know, species drop out, and eventually you wind up where oh okay, you know yeah, pretty. I I find that it's also you also find that kind of hopeful because in New Jersey where total flora right now is about 20 some extant flora in New Jersey about 27 other species okay of which 900 are non-native and of the remaining 1800 over 600 <laughs> are threatened rare or yep. endangered yeah. and you know as some of our friends we know are, are looking for things like Indian paintbrush 
it's nice to travel and come find some place where there's acres and acres of Indian paintbrush or hundreds of hundreds of showy leaders, lady slippers. You know, it gives you a, a little perspective on the endangered species list. Some of the species we have in New Jersey that are listed, yeah, rightfully listed, yeah. and I can see why they'd be posted on a statewide basis. They say, well, this this species is doesn't seem to be in trouble. It's in really trouble more of an edge of range phenomenon than that's than that's right. If if if, if, if we annexed Pennsylvania for argument's sake, the, right? <laughs> we'd pick up a few. I mean, some of these species, of course, are almost endemics. They really are endangered, globally endangered. But yeah. it, it gives you it gives you it gives you a, a good perspective. So the, the travel and the other thing about traveling with me is that. I was in my nature, this nature center was in a demographically impossible area. You know, there was just no way you could get money out of it. You can't run a, there's, there's no way you can run a nature center on program. You'd have to charge $20 for every student who comes in, you know, that kind of thing. It, it doesn't work. Uh, and uh, New Jersey Audubon did eventually divest itself, of the, divest itself of the place, but they're functioning. I've got functioning and the county is helping them out and they're doing they're doing better now than they were nice. under me actually but one way to make money was to do travel so I, I sort of instituted a travel program and again starting within that radius but I did eventually wind up going to all kinds of crazy places but I were pretty much all definitely want to ask you some travel stories but before we zoom all the way to there when you were taking your family on vacations to get away from oh. from the day and evening job, <laughs> repiling in a station wagon, or what was your well? How to how to for how to while work we were traveling in a Volkswagen, four okay. kids in a Volkswagen. <laughs> we took the back seat out and made yeah. a big platform. And these were kids. My oldest daughter was maybe what? Mm, let me think. Well, my oldest daughter might have been. Seven, so my youngest would would have been two, but then we did make we did eventually get a Volkswagen van, and we made a couple. Of, we made one cross country trip, nice. like a five week cross country trip. I've got and I take notes. You do take notes. I started taking notes. Yeah. I have notes on. I think the whole trip cost us six hundred and seventy five dollars. You know that kind of thing. It was about nineteen, about nineteen seventy five. Ford sounds about right. And my, the idea was you had to get your, you had you have to get the oldest child, old. You have to get the youngest child old enough that they have some understanding of what they're seeing. Yeah. Okay. And there's about five year gap between my youngest and the oldest. We were crazy, you know, those days. But the the but the you you the oldest one can't be so old that they get cynical. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They have to still. They, oh God, get they, me away they, from they these run parents. Through, they run through <laughs> a stage there where you know they get pretty hard to impress. Yeah. So, so, so you had a good grouping. Yeah. With those yeah, four. So we, so we did a lot of family traveling. That's then a lot. I've done a lot of traveling just personal with me and Liz. We were up in. Uh, we went to Bruce Peninsula just this this past year. That was a short. We got to Churchill the, the previous year. And you've also been botanizing for long enough that you've seen some species move. You've seen oh, more, I've more seen. southerly things oh, come north. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, a Christmas present. Uh, of course, I had a hint a little bit for this one. 
you know, you can get reprints of, of Barton's 18, 1818 Flora of the Compendium of Flore, Philadelphia. Oh, nice. 10, ten, mile, ra- ten mile radius of Philadelphia. So that bites out this part of New Jersey. From That's right. Ro- We're very from, close to Philadelphia yeah, right here. Yeah. Uh, actually, it takes out it, it, the, the arc of that circle intersects uh, roughly Riverton, New Jersey, right about where the Rancocas comes out, and then it, it gets out again somewhere like in Pennsville. So it, it includes Deptford and Mantua and Haddonfield, Camden, of course, and so on. It's interesting reading, uh, you know, because the area of it was 1818, it's halfway between the settlement date and today. Yeah. And it would it would have been formed, if you look at the old plat maps and say well it's farmed but there was still a lot of wildland wetlands especially were were were, into it, were 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 integral and you look at some of the notations here and it's like arethusa orchid for instance which to do with rare pine barrens you know yeah. morass one and a half miles southeast of woodbury you know that kind of thing just to contextualize for people now, <laughs> one and a half miles south of Woodbury looks like what? As a matter of fact, it's a pond there, but uh, but okay. yeah, you know, this kind of thing. So the distribution. But this area is thing. very, very but, developed but for those who are that, listening but, who are not but, nearby. But, but plants that, some plants were, again, significant by their, their absence, for instance, like cranefly orchid. When I first st- came down here in the 70s, I think cranefly orchid was heritage listed. I don't think it's even listed anymore. It's a common, yeah. relatively common. Plant. Last I looked, it was an S three, and it may have fallen yeah. off the list altogether. Yeah, I'm not it, sure. Yeah, I think yeah, and, and seeing what essentially are southern, southern species, maybe they had been more or less confined to Cape May County or something mm-hmm. like that. Now you start to see them, start to see them everywhere. This is this is a, a, apart from, apart from, invasive species, which. Right. Uh, you know, being a city kid, I kind of like weed botany. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did a I did a survey job at Liberty State Park before they cleaned it up. That was that was amazing. That was just like the old ballast dumps of Communipore still. And from a from a teaching viewpoint, you know, give me a, give me a good weedy roadside because mm-hmm. yeah. you can pull up plants and you can point out structures and so on, and you can taste it and rip it up the roots and so on. You yeah, you know why. Why, why, take, why take somebody who can't tell a blue jay from a chickadee on a, on a birding trip to Costa Rica? Right. You know, and I've, I've seen this kind of thing, too. You know, it's the same thing. If you, somebody can't tell a, can't tell a, a uh, lady fern from, from a yarrow, why are we going to take them into some pine barrens bog and show them some obscure plant that they'll never see again. You learn, you learn, learn, learn where the diversity is, you know. So I do kind of like weed botany, but yeah, the, the invasive species is, is really, especially you see it more, I think, in North Jersey, where you had relative, like along the old mine road, for instance, we had oh, some yeah. relatively unspoiled areas, say 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And go back up now, and well, the, yeah, you, Barberry and that area is very. I don't have a long perspective on that area, but that area when I go through is is depressing. It's very yeah. invaded. 
To me, it looks like it's Jira's to hell. I don't know yeah. if that's the, uh, the thing that's causing it, but well, man, the Barbary really likes it up yeah. there. Yeah, some others. I know, for instance, we were, there's there's other issues, but yeah, uh, you know, besides the invasive species, and uh, we were up there poking around for a week in September, and near... Uh, somewhere along the Pawnskill Valley Trail in Marksboro or some such thing. We saw, we saw hardly any deer the whole time we were up there, but we got to this one area around Mark and we kept seeing deer. I noticed all the hillsides were covered with Christmas fern, which is the one plant that deer apparently, one plant in the whole world maybe, <laughs> that deer don't eat. So, you know, you have you have other other issue other issues. You've got the invasive plants and you've got southern plants coming in, which is which I find very interesting. And at the same time, I know there are places in, in North Jersey where within the last decade I could find painted trillium, for instance, and gold thread, and they're not there anymore. Interesting. So, so you think that with the with warming, they're yeah, just kind of... Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they're that losing part advantage. And hemlock dieback may be, may yeah, be an issue. Yeah, that makes sense, too. So I'm not... I'm not getting into the field, obviously, nearly as much as I used to. For one thing, I don't drive. I don't drive except locally. I think I can find my way to the Acme the way, sort of the way, you know, something like a shrew can travel. You know, they say they develop they develop a route to go from A to B, and even if you put an obstruction in that route, they'll run along and hop over the obstruction. They won't walk around it. Well, I can get myself to the, a, to the CVS pharmacy in the yeah. Acme, you know, Home Depot, you know, the places you have to get to. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I would I don't take long drives. It, it was, you know, so I'm not going to, just, I'm just going to go up to Warren County today. You know, I don't do that anymore. But I get out, I get out enough. Gail's a birder. She really is into birding. So we'll go birding and go birding. I'll sometimes look down. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, tell Gail. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm seeing, ch I'm seeing changes. Uh, and any, any other species come to mind that um, were more southerly? Eupatorium serotinum. Uh, yeah, aren't, aren't, it's interesting that you mentioned that species. I've been doing some survey work at the Wachung mm -hmm. Glades. Yeah. And it's this really nice shallow to basalt yeah. glade community. A lot of cool plants, rare stuff, but also just nice structure, you know. Right. Woodland sunflower blooming yeah. all over the yeah, place yeah, yeah. and lots of blue stem and lots of diminutive things that wouldn't compete in a deeper, richer, less right. specific, yeah, yeah. specialized soil. And there's a lot of Eupatorium serotonum there, and I'm saying to myself, this this wasn't here 20 years ago. That's right. And... I, you know, I don't really know what the long-term implication for the glades is, but probably the best glade there, which is, uh, I don't have a measurement for you, but it's small, right. has maybe 60 flowering stems mm -hmm. of it. I'm, I'm writing my report right now and wondering exactly how to flag that. Because it's, it's native, right? But it's it native. would have been native it's where? Like, well, Actually, this is super helpful for me. Like, It wouldn't have been up in the Wachungs no. in a glade. Where would it have been? Because now I see it on the edge of highways, and you know it's very disturbance yeah, tolerant. Yeah, you see it in vacant lots and yeah. Hoboken, you know that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure if it was. I don't know if it was really a a Cape May County thing, but I know that 
even when I first came down in Mount Holly in 75, you might see see a plant here, maybe a yeah. plant there. But now, and, and you didn't see it much north of that, and now you see it everywhere. Uh, Frilichia, well, you snake cotton, Frilichia grassless, roadsider, but, nice. you know, again, something that's something really spreading. And then, uh, and that's, well, that's, that's probably that's probably native native to North America, but not native to New Jersey. So you know yeah. you got you got that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, what the hell? Uh, and also another another Eupatorium, but it's not it's not a Eupatorium. Not a Eupatorium now. I don't think is uh, dog fennel. That's that's spreading. That's, you seen that that was strictly in strictly in Cape May County at one time. Oh, wow. Now I see it up in Cumberland County and Salem County. I've seen that going south, but I never realized that yeah. even ranged in New Jersey. Right. And it was, so. it was you know S S one in New Jersey. Gotcha. You go down to South Carolina and they, they tell somebody, it's <laughs> they laugh at very you. weedy. What you what you what you bothering with that one? Uh, maybe Salvia lyrata. That's yeah, I don't see it around much, but it definitely, I think, is moving, 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 moving northward. It seems like people are finding pawpaws all over the place. Yeah, too. that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. That's 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 right. That's I th well, that's you know, planting and 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 fruits are water borne and yeah, you know, that species seems to be able to grow in a wide variety of different kinds of habitats because you go south on the coastal plain and it's in a coastal swamp or something right. yeah. but then you see it up in uplands on the banks of Susquehanna yeah. that look like kind of spice bush yeah. territory or yeah. well I mean looking at yeah out there at, yeah in Lancaster the County it's yeah. native but for instance like it's all over Bowman's Hill I don't think it's native there it's no they must there. have planted it over planted, there yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a plant Barton in 1818, I think, says very rare, and has got like one location along the school kill. You know, oh, that, that's that, that sort of yeah. thing. So that's that's spreading. I'm not quite sure why it's spreading, but part of it is part of it. People are planning. I, people it. are very excited about pawpaws. Yeah, and yeah. and I think people have always been excited about right. pawpaws. I yeah. you know wouldn't be surprised if some of those other locations were. Native American yeah. sites yeah. where that's, where they were dispersed true. up along the Susquehanna yeah. and what yeah, have that's, you. That's that's true. So you've you've got yeah it's 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 a fluid it's a fluid situation, and uh, I mean the of course the thing is that that uh, who knows it who knows about it but you and me you know there are there are there are, there are maybe twenty people in the whole of Gloucester County who even know the difference between. This maybe I'm a little bit over straight, but you know, they sort of sort of resolution things. You know, there are there are big green things, and there are middle sized yeah. green things, and a little low green things, and then there are things that have flowers. Yeah, that's and, right. And uh, you say, well, the you know the world is changing, and you know, say, okay, uh, species diversity is disappearing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and the the problem is that we and the kind of people that we tend to associate with are, are aware of this and they see it but we tend to associate with a very very small minority of people what are you're you doing a very good job with your with your nursery you're really doing and 
and but you know you're hold, keeping your no. holding your end up so to speak and, I feel and, like we're um, fortunate enough to be riding a wave of people who yeah. are may not be as knowledgeable about the esoteric aspects of botany and ecology but are very excited least, about and, yeah native plantings and right. restoring habitats and right. you know right. uh, bird butterflies and bees which <laughs> constantly referencing uh, Carl what do you think drew you towards that level of fine resolution and that complexity. I mean, it's just an innate interest in esoteric things, or do you think that there was something specific about plants that pulled you in that, that spoke on an emotional level? Or how do, how do you divide it up in your mind in terms of your fascination? As, are you, do you think of yourself as like- Well, I, mean, I don't think of myself know. as, as I, you know what's what's a botanist? All right, fair. I, I mean, you're a very well-rounded naturalist. Yeah, because I that's, read some of your journals, and you're out in the middle of nowhere in the Southwest, telling me what some kind of lizard is or something like <laughs> that. Which, so, I mean, you're clearly a great generalist, but you're also you dive really deep into all these things, mm-hmm. and or the, yeah. that's my feeling about it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well. I think it's kind of an innate, innate curiosity on, on, on my part. I mean, I, you know, when I, was a, when I was a kid in New York, I walked all over Manhattan, yeah. you know, looking, oh, what's down this street there? I just had to know. That's what I loved about being a kid in the city. <laughs> right. You just walk out the door and... You're in a diff- you, can do, you can be in a different... If you know how to walk, you wind up in a different country in a, couple yeah. of mi- in a yeah. half a mile, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the... I, I, well, I actually set my set myself a kind of a goal once, that it'd be nice to sit down in my backyard and have some kind of handle on everything I see. Maybe not know the ins and outs of its life cycle, yeah. but know know what it is. As I said before, botanists have to good have to have, well, naturalists have to have have, have to have a good memory. Uh, and you know, circum- circumstances. After all, you 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 run a nature center. You lead tours. You're leading tours. You can't you can't guarantee that all people want to know are about the birds. Somebody just might ask right. you, "What is that little pink flower?" And well, I made my business to know what that little pink flower was. So when you started out as a, so you went from a draftsman mm-hmm. to uh, basically working running a nature center. Right. Tell me about that transition. First of all, you know, was there any formal education or training in there or how did you end up jumping from one well, to actually, the other? Actually, and, and, actually yeah. I got what what well that's, that that could get get to be a rather lengthy story, but basically just Go for your for own it. information, okay. Uh, I mean, I had already you know Living in Oakland, New Jersey, I get up into the Ramapos. I can poke around. I've been looking at birds, traveling with the family. You know, looking at nature, traveling out west, and so on. So I mean, I had I had a pretty good. I, I have no, 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 no formal education at that point. I got I got as far as I could possibly go in the engineering field with zero with zero degree backing me up. I was more or less doing a kind of a junior engineer's work. And I was working for a sort of a mom and pop company, actually a pop company, a small company mm-hmm. up in West Milford, New Yeah, Jersey. so what, what were you drafting while we're on the top? Uh, at that point, I was doing high sort of uh, 
aerospace kind of hydraulic pumps, motors, that kind of thing, precision, precision work. You know, I've been there for about nine years, and I realized, well, when 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 the, when 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 the old guy dies, this company is going to fold. I'm going to be stuck up here in West Milford, New Jersey, and I'll never get a job in in in, in drafting. You know, again up here. I'll wind up working in Passaic or something, drawing washers. Uh. I said, "Well, I got, <laughs> I got, I got, I got to get a degree." So I went went to William Patterson College for two years, going. As I was able to do full time for about a year and a half, and then I started working for Audubon. Started as a volunteer. So prior to that, you had a high school. Just high school. High Stuyvesant school. High School in New York. Oh, I went to Stuyvesant also. That makes sense. I don't, I'm not surprised. Uh, somehow. Oh, maybe we have talked about this, but it would have been a long time ago, and yeah, I, yeah. I forgot. So, uh, so I was working for Audubon as a volunteer and in one of their sanctuaries in Bergen County, and they needed somebody to start more or less from scratch a, a nature center in Mount Holly in a in an abandoned building that was owned by the state, a vandaled and very very decrepit building, and I, I that's a, my gig in the Peace Corps. I mean, I was working with I, I moved my pick took my wife and kids and moved down into this horrible building <laughs> with a with a staff of fourteen hard, hardcore unemployed for a couple of years under a CETA grant. And we got the thing going. We nice. got the thing going. That was my first wife. She was a tough cookie. She was very good, very intelligent, very bright. And uh, we got it going. But uh, at some point, I realized, well, New Jersey Audubon is sort of shaky. So I said, well, I've got to, I've got to, at that point, I had, with one thing and another, uh, probably about the equivalent of two and a half years of of college, and I realized, well, no matter how much I'm known in the field, if I want to get a job in this field, in an environmental field, at that point they had given up the idea of teaching. I'm going to have to get a degree because the only people who would hire me are the federal government or the county yeah. government or the state government, and the first requirement is you got to have a degree. So actually, I wound up getting a degree. Uh, well, through Edison College, but I had to take some courses, and I, I mean, I, they they glued together everything they possibly could. I had weird stuff. I had been, I had, I taught a botany course at Westchester University, no degree, <laughs> but I said, give me, in addition to paying me, give me the two credits for the course. Nice. <laughs> you know, I had, a, I, I had, a, I had a, I had a few of those. How was it taking your own course, Carl? To give yourself good grades. <laughs> I had, a, I had a. That, well, that sure taught me I didn't want to teach, but I mean, okay. but that was, yeah. I'll tell you some stories about that sometime when I'm off the record here. But anyways, uh, I wound up... Uh, you know, we kind of always edit anything out later that you don't want to have in there. Uh, well, it was, a, it was a case where the... Where the oh, don't, uh, don't, don't give me too much editing work. It was, but... a, te- it was a teacher where the, where the a course where the teacher had suddenly taken sick and they were crazy to find somebody to teach this yeah. course. It was like a... One of these summer summer courses with about fifteen students, you know, plants or whatever. Plants are plants are your friends or something. <laughs> something. Wait, sort. place me in a decade here, Carl. Give me a would give me a about context. About nineteen eighty in the nineteen eighty. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, probably about nineteen eighty two, somewhere in that ballpark. 
So he said, first first day of the class, one of the, one of the students, you know, was uh, Miss, uh, whatever her name was, Miss Johnson, uh, uh, had the picnics with the children, with the students. Yeah, you're going to have picnics. And uh, I said, no, you're going to be shitting me. <laughs> 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 now, that's not my line. There's a, fa a very, very, very good botanist, Pine Barrens botanist, Ted Gordon. You may know his name, and that mm -hmm. was an expression of his that it just came up. <laughs> so you've got to be shitting me. So before the kids were out of the class. <laughs> but after that, it was, after that, it was pretty good. They knew nothing, but it was, it was, I, I had her, her lesson plans, and I used some of those, and I ran in a few lessons on my own. I did one on supermar supermarket botany, which I thought was good, because these kids are never going to see if the field again, but they're going to have to shot. They should know that an avocado is a fruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and you know I tell I... you, you go to Whole Foods, you can really do a tropical body. Yeah. Yeah, there's some jackfruit. There's some pretty crazy stuff out there. Right, it's yeah. like, what is that thing? So, so I, I, that, that, that got me through. I wound up taking, I had, had to make up about 50 credits, something like that. So I went to Burlington County College and wound up taking several business courses. And you know, if somebody came to me today and said, yeah. I want to run a nature center, what yeah. what courses should I take? That's it, it, happened to me, and you know, people ask you that. Yeah. And they expect you to say, well, you have to learn how to talk, speak hawk or something like right. that. <laughs> <laughs> chicken or whatever the hell. So take, take, take accounting and take personnel management. Yeah, Accounting you're always going to need. And if, no matter what you do, if you're good at it, you're going to have people working underneath you, and you really want to know something about personnel management. I think those were probably the most valuable courses I took. Now, how did I ever get? I never, so I never really took a serious botany course. I took a regular biology or plants course, and I took uh, a sort of a summer, you know, one of these two-credit quick summer courses yeah. you know, at William Patterson College. Had a, a prof named Leona Emmerich, a very nice, knowledgeable person, elderly, older than me. And I asked her the question once, how many kinds of goldenrods are there in New Jersey anyhow? It turned out she couldn't give me an answer. So I said, I'm going to make a checklist of the plants of New Jersey. Yeah. You know, you come in from the birding end, and birders are always using checklists. They always have those checklists Gotta to make sure that they there was no, there was no list of the plants of New Jersey. No. So I sat down and compiled a checklist of the plants in New Jersey, and that's been my hobby, you know, for quite a long time, you know, sort of like some people crochet and knit, you know, yeah. I, I play. And it was interesting. It, it, you learn that way. You learn yeah. the history, and you learn the taxonomy, and you learn, you know, you got all the names down pat. So in putting together your checklist, were you going to historical sources yeah well yeah what, what did you cobble together and then of course you're talking to other people who you met in the field well not that so much you, no. you had a, had a few you got Whitmer Stone plants of southern New Jersey yeah you've got uh, you've got uh, Taylor flora of New, New York New Jersey and, and Connecticut I guess it is and you held the old Britain Britain's Geological Survey of New, yeah. Survey of New Jersey, 1898, yeah. and you've got field guide reports, and you've got your own your own your own knowledge, and you can go through you can go through Gray's manual if you have a sort of a basic. So I'll go through 
you know, got a list of like questionable species. You know, it'll say, well, this plant is grows from grows from from Maine to, to North Carolina. It doesn't necessarily follow that it's in in in, in New Jersey. Yeah. But you also have some plants where it says specifically New Jersey. So they came up with a preliminary list, and you sort of refine it ever since. And the states started coming up with the list of endangered species. Yeah. Well, the heritage list. Well, those that's that that's an invaluable kind of a kind of a document. So you you can come up with the list. And as I recall, it wound up with thirty two species of goldenrod in New Jersey. Nice. That <laughs> answers one of my questions. Thanks, Carl. So you know that's that's interesting. That was a that that's a, that's an interesting kind of ongoing ongoing project. You know, I looking back at some of those historic floras, mm-hmm. I don't know them all. You know, yeah. I would find things online or you know, once in a while here, but I started with sort of a copy of Newcomb's Wildflower Guide oh, and wrote that for yeah. as long as I yeah. could. Um, and one of the things that I find, I guess I would say, frustrating now is there's not much ecological information no. available from that era That's in other right. words you can have maybe a rough location mm-hmm. but what i want to know especially from a restoration perspective right. is what did these plants grow with what was the soils like what was you know the yeah, yeah. the structure right. what did what, what did this place look like when it assembled itself in a diverse fashion and yeah. i feel like you can't really go back to those things it might say you know uh you know two miles north of Phillipsburg along the Delaware or whatever and you can go find that spot and make some guesses but when did when did botany become more sorry if this question is going to be haphazardly phrased but when did botany become more ecological in the sense of building out a context for species? In very, very re- relatively recently. It seems that way to me, too. You probably experienced that during your tenure. Yeah. Not ex- I'm not exactly sure. Because uh, you guys say did a big survey up at White Lake that you yeah. passed on to me yeah, and uh, no yeah. doubt many others. and. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, ecology. I mean, that the whole concept of ecology didn't really hit the the sort of popular consciousness. I wouldn't say till the nineteen sixties. I would say that makes sense. Uh, okay, so i i got I got roped into doing that vegetation of New Jersey, plant communities in New Jersey. Oh yeah, book yeah. kind of thing, and I didn't do a very good job. I don't feel I did a good job. But you if I had if I had known what was ava- what information was available, I built it, you know, out of here, out of, yeah. out of my head. If I had known what what information was available, there were already some uh, of these. Uh, Plant community descriptions that, and yeah. you know, C E G L, you know, black ash. I have to fess up that I still find those pretty confounding, but I, I understand what you're getting yeah. at was that people had started to make fine resolution right distinctions exactly. between communities. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Prior prior to that, uh, not so much. But again, it's a. I think it may be a function of what what. What what publications you read? I mean, I'm you know if I if somebody said where would you get information about about you know some location? Well, 
I mean, you have the, you know, Tory Botanical. Yeah. If you want to wade through those forever, you know, you get some pretty, pretty good information. And Philadelphia Botanical, uh, not as not as scientific, but you know that was that's what that was those those were another source of, of yeah. plant names, by the way. So I su- suppose I know there are there are publications specifically dealing with the ecological aspect, and not, but I don't I don't read them, so I don't know when they even you, that would be an interesting. When did this publication first? Mm-hmm. When yeah. was this first published? Yeah. That people found enough interest in it to, to, to. to well, the to plant see. communities of New Jersey book that you worked on. You worked on the second edition, right? Yeah, and the first one was that? called Vegetation of New Jersey. And that was. And that was very Rutgers unspecific. Professor. That was very unspecific. Well, what happened is, uh, Beryl Collins. Yeah. Who was the second author of the first book? Right. Tapped me out. Could I write? The sections dealing with the plant communities in New Jersey. So more or less, partly from memory and partly back, reverting back to that first edition. What are some forest types that yeah. I know in New Jersey? But I didn't know. I didn't know very much about the geology. I didn't put in enough there about the geology. So yeah, it's yeah. There, there's there's there's. There are there are gaps, and I'm not sure where you mean. I'm not sure where, how how I'm not sure how complete that sort of information is now. And it's on a really, really exceptional sites. You yeah. know, somebody has looked at it. Now people yeah. look at the Pine Barrens, okay, but uh, at a fine level, if you said how how am I what 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 do I have to do to this field to grow Indian paintbrush? Right. Yeah, I think. I. I think there's a lot of levels of complexity and you keep looking and you then uncover other levels of complexity yeah, yeah. because then you start to think about yeah. the, the soil organisms right. that might support that mm-hmm. and paintbrush is what, hemiparasitic or something yeah. like that so there's a whole dynamic right. with grasses around it. Yeah. And but where maybe, it grows it seems to be pretty, you know, you know, you see it growing on road shoulders. Well, the weird thing is, well, maybe you see it on road shoulders but I, I well, have Well, I'm a, thinking Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> You know, I have a, and same thing with fireweed and yeah. some of those things. I have a copy of Harshberger did something on the Nakamix and Cliffs, which are kind right, of by yeah, me. yeah, yeah. From that's 1900, right. okay, he there's describes. Your, there's somebody who's starting to look at it. What was, yeah, what that's was true. Date? What that's was his true. date? No, that was around 19, 15, early 1900s, quite like early. Oh, you know, for some reason, I feel like it's even earlier than that, but that doesn't make sense. So I, I have my date off on that. But he describes paintbrush as this sort of like pedestrian weed that was along the canal towpath. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, now you're lucky to find it in, you know, some very specialized limestone habitat, yeah. which, you know, to me brings up a whole bunch of other questions. Like, what is it about limestone that makes it a refugia for oh. some of these species that right. used to be more common, like fringe gentian or paintbrush or whatever that... You don't really maybe see that much. Again, I don't have enough experience to talk about what these things used to be like, but you don't see them except for in these very specialized habitats right. now. Yeah, I, I was my, my 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 daughter heard that that you were going to do this podcast, and she she's a sort of a computer nick, and uh, she found the one that you did on Cianotis. Oh yeah, I wrote a forwarded on to me. Yeah, interesting. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I remember used to see it on quarry floors. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes growing out of rock sense. dust. Now, we were in we were in Minnesota a couple couple years ago, and we got down in the midst, you know, boreal forest. Then you have a sort of a deciduous forest, and then you have a kind of kind of prairie areas, and you know, the Indian paintbrush seemed to be almost everywhere. You know, sounds nice. It's sort of a sort of relative, not. Not yeah, more or less prairie kind yeah. of areas and roadsides. Yeah, it didn't seem to be, didn't seem to have any particular requirements. Yeah, yeah, it's right. We don't know it. We don't know for sure. So you ended up traveling a lot, not just on your own trips, but then I kind of cut you off on this earlier. But you started a travel program. Started a travel with program, Audubon. and did uh, I think I did about sixty trips for New Jersey wow. Audubon. I mean, I was able to get, I was able to get, get Gail on some of them, you know. I That's met Gail on one of the trips. She came along on a birding trip or something. She came or? along on a birding trip. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Never, never asked somebody. Hey, uh, you're driving down. Why don't you give me a lift? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous, huh? But uh, no, I got married at 18. Uh, and actually, I married late, lasted for 27 years, actually, yeah. and just kind of grew, drifted apart. I still see my ex-wife. She's, un- unfortunately, she's in an assisted living kind of situation. She's yeah. older than me. She's a Jewish refugee from, Holocaust refugee. Good for you guys for staying close and drifting apart in a, huh? a good for you guys for staying close and drifting apart yeah. in an amiable yeah. fashion. No, we, but we're still, we're still, we're still friends. And, so yeah, so we both we both tra- we traveled with her, and I traveled with Gail, and I traveled traveled for for Audubon. I've been to East Africa f- five times, I think, and you know I did some foreign travel, not much. So but paint me a picture of what like a typical travel experience with with Carl would have been. Like, what kind of people are signing up to this? Where are you taking them? What's their toleration not for a, a sudden not, not hail enough, storm? Not, a, not enough a, of them. That was the big problem. Okay. You did work, I wasn't working with a with a big enough membership base to really draw. Gotcha. And it would frustrate. So it wasn't hell. like you were at National Geographic and you That's could. That's right. You know. It used to frustrate the hell out of me. I'm doing a trip to southeastern Arizona and I'm charging maybe two thousand bucks and I'm making money on the National Geographic is charging five thousand dollars for the same trip. But the difference is they have a regular they have an actual Hobine medicine man who is going to show you how to do sand painting, you see. But uh, I'd say most of the trips I, well I'd I would I would almost never cancel a trip. I mean, if I had if right. I had enough people to pay my expenses, I'd go because I want to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to get out. And the other way, you're not you're not going to build a travel program by canceling. So, uh, I'd say maybe, well, varied. Uh, if I said maybe ten people would be about the average number. I did trips maybe sometimes for three or four people, and then I might do a trip for you know. Fifteen or twenty, get get two liters. Yeah, once usually, you get up above fifteen people, it's you, it's a lot for one person to. Yeah, well, you have to have nothing else. You'd have to second have have to have, have to have a second van driver. So I would try right. to I would try yeah. to get a, 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 a for a birding trip. I didn't. I try to get away from. I don't want to do hardcore birding trips. Mm-hmm. It's always what I would what they call soft birding. 
I mean, you want to see every bird, and you want to make one trip to southeast, southwestern Arizona, and you never want to make another trip, and you want to be damn sure you see the buff collared nightjar. Do me a favor, go with Victor Emmanuel tours. You know, I mean, there are people you would you could show them the the the, the gates of heaven and the celestial choir, mm-hmm. and and they'd still be complaining that, well, we didn't see the book. This is on, Carl, job. this is on my list. I need to check it off. <laughs> right. So, uh, I'd say probably about, and, well, you know, favorite favorite locations, uh, well, I did like 10 trips to Newfoundland. But nice. those weren't, I did, I did, I did two trips for Virginia Native Plant Society and one trip for the Long Island Botanical Society in addition to that would have been, say, seven trips for New Jersey Audubon, and two of those, I think, may have been specifically for wildflowers. I've never been up to Newfoundland. Where in Newfoundland are you going, and what's what made that such a good location for you? Well, for one thing, it's a beautiful. It's pretty. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has. It's it's what's wild, that? but it has an infrastructure. You know, there's no question of getting motels and meals and gotcha. so on. And uh, if you're if you're a if you're a a a birder, you know the the places. Let's see if I can get the hand right. Now that's the handedness. You know, it looks something like this. If All right, now I have to translate so this what your be, hand is, looks like this is, on, into audio. This is this is the Avalon Peninsula, and St. John's okay. is out here, and this is what they call the Northern Peninsula, and Ansar Medit, the old North Settlement site, is up here. And in between here is basically nothing, uh-huh. but not quite that bad. But the Transcan Highway goes from from goes from from one to the other. Uh, for laying further in down and just down in here, I mean you've got a lot of good boreal forest, but you've got your boreal forest birds like pine grosbeak, and you've got these enormous seabird colonies, you know, with tens of thousands of puffins and guillemots and murres. And whales everywhere, whales jumping out of the, out of the ocean. So you know you do a you, you can focus on birding more down here. And then, but if if you get up here, you don't get the seabirds, but you still get some of those northern northern finches. But here you have a, here you're really starting in Gross Moore National Park, which is kind of decid kind of that's where this deciduous forest starts to give way. Through the boreal forest and and also right to this kind of low Arctic barrens, and you get up here, it's really, really straight of Belle Isle barrens they call it. So you're really kind of t- and that's where the stuff. old Viking site is, right? There's yeah, but Norse... the very top, at the very top. Yeah, I always wanted to get up there. That sounds yeah, like a cool they spot. Have, they have a nice reconstruction reconstruction of it, and you know they got the locals in there, and you know. And uh, yeah, it's just did, an interesting. Did any of it's, that an inter- it's an easy. It's an easy trip. It's a, a, a fairly easy, fairly easy trip. Did any of that activate any latent Swedish feelings in you? Of <laughs> no, I can't really can't really say that. We went. Gail and I went to Iceland. That was okay. Kind of, yeah. That was kind of interesting. Man, I couldn't puzzle out that language at all. You know, I mean, I could, 
I love just looking at the names of the towns and the cities. Yeah. It's like well, it's, it's like you know, it's like when you you see you know you it's a compound word. You, you string them all together. Yeah. So if you break it up into the components, you, oh, okay, you know, this means, you know, the little town on the edge of a glacier. You right. So <laughs> <laughs> They've got a couple well, of those. Right. String and stuff. That was. That was that was that was a that was that was a good trip. So Newfoundland I like, and the South Carolina South Carolina Low Country I really like. That's you know that's a good, that's a good, drivable trip. You know there are trips that you can drive to like yeah. Acadia National Park made a real easy trip. It did several half a dozen trips there. It's it's a mob scene now. It's ex- yeah, crowded it's to the point you can't hardly get into the place. Yeah. But it made a good trip because people could get there on their own, and they'd stay in one place. And they got a park map, and I could just say, "Listen, I don't, I don't want to get involved in being a bus driver. Yeah. Just meet me at Long Pond parking lot, eight o'clock in the morning. We'll do birding, and then we'll go here, and we'll go here, and we'll go there. It was an easy trip for a leader. Uh, but I've been, you know, Rio Grande Valley, and Big Bend. Did a couple of trips at Big Bend. That's a neat, neat area. South, southeastern Arizona. I had a daughter who lived in Phoenix too, so I went nice. to south, southwestern, southern Arizona probably half a dozen times, maybe three of them with bird leading or co-leading bird trips. Florida, obviously, around this time of year, people start getting itchy. Oh, know? yeah. You, know, you see Key University. West is putting all their ads on TV. <laughs> they, start, they know that people at this point want to get out. Yeah. So do some birding trips to Florida. I, you know, usually say one, one van, um, yeah, maybe one one van, one van, or, or one van. Oftentimes, or two vans. I've done done several wildflower trips to the Smokies. You picking people up at the airport, or if it's a flying destination. Yeah, yeah. In the van. Yeah, yeah. Had a good canyon country trip. Meeting meeting Vegas. I mean, everybody should see Vegas once in their lifetime. It's you know. Uh, I, uh, I mean, it's creepy, but uh, you know. mm-hmm. but you meet in Vegas and and yeah, meet in the, meet meet in the, meet in the airport and meet in the hotel, one or the other. You can make make arrangements in the hotel and just people get themselves to the hotel. I'll meet you in the morning, or you can meet at the airport if you you know. Then you then you're sort of biting your nails. Is everybody going to show up? You know. But generally, generally it worked out okay, and you know, just go do a kind of a nice, easy route: Zion, Cedar Breaks, Bryce, North Rim of the Grand Canyon. You know, make a nice loop, and you can do another. There's another similar kind of a loop: a one week, eight, it's like an eight day loop. You know, if you're into one week, yeah. you know, eight day loop, you do go from Salt Lake City to do the other Canyon Country arches. Do you manage to do all these trips without any serious mishaps, or hmm? do you manage to do all these trips without any serious mishaps, or do you ever do you ever lose anybody along the way, or uh, no, have any no, emergency no, I would, no, I was, uh, emergency no. hospital I trips was, or I was, anything? No, I was I was lucky in Africa. That is lucky. I've, I've had people get yeah. sick a couple of times, but no, I, uh, uh, you do here. You know, you talk to other people who run trips. You know, I had one guy, elderly guy. One of my earliest trips was going to the Galapagos. Now, I didn't wow. set that up. We had a tra- travel company, Audubon, would work. And that was just sort of before I was doing my own independent 
travel because they set me up to go to do the Lapidos, which was neat. And I had this elderly chap who signed up for the trip. He said, uh, kind of a grouchy old guy, but I kind of liked him. And he calls me up maybe a few weeks before the trip. He says, I can't go to the Galapagos with you. I, uh, my doctor says my heart can't stand it. I said, oh, geez, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you've got your travel insurance. And, you know, I didn't take no fucking travel insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, it's going to cost you 3000 bucks. Up, you know, the, the, the tour company has your deposit, and they, and they won't let it go, you know. They've... They made arrangements. That's that's the deal. You know. Remember, I said everybody get yeah. their travel insurance. He says, "Oh, oh shit! I'm not going to lose that. I'll go. I'll go anyway." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, well, fortunately, I knew he was traveling with his wife. He was a little bit, little bit, little bit early stage of dementia, but he was traveling with his wife. I said, "But." Uh, I'm calling around to other people who do tours. What do you do? Somebody dies on a goddamn trip. Yeah. You can't abort the trip, you know. You just got to leave this guy. But he, he went along. He was fine. And he actually, he was, he was a, an asset to the trip. He was, we were on a, on a, a little boat. Uh, all by our, or we had our own little boat going around the Galapagos. We weren't on a big thing. We had, you know, a boat with about 16 people on it. was full. So he was teaching the crew how to fillet a fish. They had never seen how filleting a fish, and he, he had a good he had a good time. Nice. So yeah, I was, I was I was lucky in that respect. I mean, I know uh, there was a girl named Lauren Brown. You may see her name on Grass Manual. Sure. Yeah. And uh, she was doing tours for Connecticut Audubon. And I think she was on a trip that they they got shot up, and they had to drive for a couple of hours with a dead person in the back of the van. You said they got shot up. Shot up. Yeah, they got attacked by, by bandits. Wow. Where were they? In, in Masai Mara or something like that. So yeah, I've I've been lucky. We I know yes yeah, some of a couple of one of my naturalists uh, did a tri- trip to Alaska and everybody came up with food poisoning. They stayed at Three oh. Point Valley or something like that. And everybody that came happens. up with food poisoning. Had to spend a day in the hospital. But no, I never had anything like that. Maybe the worst thing that ever happened, I got a flat tire in a van or something like that. Yeah, it's not so bad. You must have had some difficult to deal with human beings once in a while. Deafness yeah. helps. What's that? Deafness helps. <laughs> Losing my, <laughs> my hearings. No, you know, I know I was, you know, my, my, my later, some of my later trips, Gail was with me. Yeah. Know, and, and she, I was already losing my hearing, which is why I sort of got away from birding, you know. Part one reason I got away from burning. I mean, the, you know, the murmur of pines and hemlocks and the suffering of sedges is not species specific. <laughs> okay, so, so, you know, you'd be. So you were drive. needing to bird by I'd, I'd ear. Be, I'd be driving. And it just wasn't happening. I'd be driving. Okay, you know, okay. And guess it. Person at back, she's, you know, she's complaining about this, that, the other thing. I said, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, okay. My take is, listen, I gave you, I wrote an itinerary. Yeah. And my best knowledge. Yeah. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And the other thing the name is, we're going to be, I'm going to have it specific enough that you should know what I'm doing, but still loose enough that I'm not going to be nailed down. 
Yeah. You know, so that somebody's going to come to you and say, why didn't we visit the Maasai village? Well, we're in Arizona. <laughs> but more, 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 more to the point, you know, don't put down the name of some little county park. Yeah. We will visit some local sites. Yeah. So some say, why, why didn't we visit this Coconino County Park? Say, well, I didn't have any reason to, to do that. Well, so-and-so saw a Buckford Nightjar there. Well, we're trying for it, but okay. So I said, listen, we're going to visit these places. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to house you, and we're going to feed and get, find your food. And if, if I, my feeling is if I follow that itinerary, I'm golden. You know, I try. I had a, I had a I had another outside kind of an outside leading a trip once, and I told him that, and the guy takes off on his own itinerary. I said, "Man, that's a that, that's a contract of a of a kind." You know, you got an itinerary. I'm going to do this. You depart from that at your peril. Yeah. You've got to, if if you're going to do that, you got to have a you got to have a reason. Say, so, well, we can't go with that because the road is closed. Okay, fine. But then, once you're doing the trip, well, sort of analogy, I think of it as flushing a toilet. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't you're in the pipe, flush. you know. <laughs> you're in the pipe, you're following the itinerary. Uh, I know, I, I, don't, I don't need anybody to tell me the trip is going badly. I know the trip is going badly. Sure. And I know, I, and if the trip is going well, I know it, and if I go, if it's doing, doing going badly for, you get you do you you get you get trouble 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 people trouble people yeah on on the trip and and they they sort of like infect the thing but I you know okay you get I'm doing my I'm doing my job and I know I know if the trip is good I know if the so if you sometimes you make the first time you do a trip you you, you might make a mistake you know. Yeah. Usually, usually, if I did a trip, it was to a place that I had already been on, on my own. I had some knowledge, some vague knowledge at least of what the place is going to be like. And not, not always, but most of the time I had maybe been there on my own. But the, the first time you do a trip, you you, you want to do too much. You, you think I'm going. You 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 don't, especially when you first start doing those kinds of things. If you won't start doing botanical trips, you don't you, you underestimate the amount of time it takes to get from A to B because you underestimate the, uh, the out of amount of amount of time it takes for people to get in and out of a van. Yeah. Or how long it takes, you know, you got ten people lined up outside a pit toilet someplace. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know so you, you, you tend to bite off too much and then you correct the second time and maybe you overcorrect. So the third time you get right, the third time is a charm. Trouble is, you don't often have enough trip the trip that popular enough that you can afford to run it three times. So yeah, it's an interest. It's a whole science to it. It's all you know. To me, there's a whole there's a whole science to it. Yeah. yeah I guess you know one of the things that when we probably met ten years ago or so, give or take. Mm -hmm. and I have appreciated how willing you are to share information share your findings i feel like there's this kind of balance in the at least in the botanical community between mm -hmm. 
sharing and then there's this real strong yeah. urge towards secrecy yeah and uh, like i said i I'll appreciate that you've always come out on the sharing end of things and i feel like i understand the secrecy end of things to some degree but it also can really hamper any hope that we have of stewardship of That's taking right. care of populations or restoring places mm -hmm. if if every rare thing is a secret then and when it disappears only two people knew and then you know it's it's just gone it's it's subperceptible and then we try to say oh we should bring these plants back or you know yeah. try to help them all well, nobody knows anything about what their habitats were like or where they grew i remember one of our fairly on early on you told me about some orchids mm -hmm. and i think i got you into hot water because yeah. You okay. told me. Bloody root. Yeah. Because, look, I, I, actually it was a different orchid, but at the same, same location. Same thing. And, and your, your, I, view, your view was, you're I, on the spot. I live right there, right? right? This is where I used to live. And I, I was doing a lot of things to caretake local habitats. Right. Yeah. You know, doing land stewardship and outreach and working with volunteers. And so I appreciated knowing that this was there. And to me... You know, th so this was one of the one of the yellow orchids, and I was like, "Wow, yeah. this is here!" And it really kind of opened up the possibilities of the place that I live to see something so right. specialized yeah. in this. Otherwise, oh, that's like what my backyard mm -hmm. looks like, so, and plus or minus. And then, you know, I was talking shop with another botanist and figuring, you know, let's yeah. let's talk about this. I find it interesting. They're not deer browsed. Right. They're not invaded near. Isn't this yeah. cool and encouraging? Well, like within twenty four hours. That guy had told the person who originally told you about the location, mm -hmm. and that person had found time to chastise you for telling me. And I was like, that was an early education for me at how quickly people jump on you for yeah. giving away their, you know, quote unquote botanical secrets. Yeah. And I, I do understand that people poach orchids or what have you. But at the same time, if, if nobody passes on this information, where are we at in terms of the next generation of botanists or whatever? So that's not really a question, Carl, but I wanted to get at, you know, what puts you more on the sharing end of the spectrum and how do you feel about the whole kind of secrecy around rare plant locations and things like that? Well, I think, I think to some degree we're kidding ourselves. We think you can keep, keep a location of, let's say, a showy rare plant right. secret. Fair. Uh, the, the people who want to make it their business to poach orchids are going to find out where those orchids are. They're going to go on published records. They're mm -hmm. going to go look in herbarium specimens. You know, yeah. they 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 poking around a lot on their own. Yeah. They they're gonna they're gonna find something. So something you're not you're not worrying too much about giving somebody a way to location of some obscure sedge generally speaking. Right. so we're really talking about a, a specific group of group of plants yeah and my 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 feeling is that uh, if it isn't known about it's going to get paved over somehow yeah i mean what would keep what would, what would keep that park from widening their trail sure exactly yep. you know I've seen that happen. I've seen, in fact, you told me about some hop tree or, you know, wafer ash, yeah, right? right? Up along the Delaware or somewhere. Yeah, right. 
bar and, and like uh, that. I saw it once. Yeah. Next time I came back, there was a picnic area there. Right. That's a that's a protected park system. Mm-hmm. Even well, in park systems, nobody, I don't think the nobody chose to tell the park system that hey, you have an S one plant species here. Right. And yeah. next time there's some very nice picnic tables and a little lawn mm-hmm. where there was some wafer ash. Right. So I think you I know, think it's real. My, I, it, it, you know, and you 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 you. You you know you got to be a little circumspect about who you tell, sure. and you have to know something about the plant they're looking for. You know, somebody's asking you for you know uh, some plant that ginseng, ginseng for argument's sake, right. or a black snake root or yeah. something of this sort. You yeah. say, well, no, I don't, I don't know where it is. I I think there's a little too, I think there's a little too much secrecy. The other, it's not necessarily sort sort of say off the record, but I mean. You give information to the heritage people, and you don't get any feedback. You know, like for God's sake, I've just told you that this obscure plant grows here. Send me a friggin' postcard that says with a little box to check off. Thank you for the information, but we know about this plant. Or thank you very much. That's a new location, or whatever. So you know what's what's what what the story is. I think this. I think there's a little, a little. Too much secrecy in, in, that, in that respect. And for most plants, like I say it's only a, it's a, but did, you, did you know that supposedly over a hundred pitcher plants have been dug out of Webb's Mills bog? Oh, you know, I saw that. Rachel passed that along to me, and now it seems like there's some confusion over it, so I don't know where that is at, but I did, I did hear yeah. that. I yeah. mean, you know the place. That's a beautiful spot there. Yeah, yeah. And I always kind of wondered, actually, it's so easy to access, and it's it's over whether anybody was going to mess with the place. Yeah, I've been going in but there. For, a, that's a shame. That's a. I think I sort of saw it first in about 1972. So we're going back close to 50 years. At that point, you would walk. There was no boardwalk. You could walk into it from the road, mm-hmm. and it and it extended further toward the road. But there's been a, a lot of ecological change in that over the years also. So it's sort of hard to... Change with the hydrology? Change with the hydrology. Mm-hmm. It was flooded for a while. Was oh. Usually, historically, it was much drier before the beavers got in there or whatever oh, and raised the elevation of it. Uh, so yeah, you, 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 you're going to get you're going to get some poaching, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to, sh- to share information. Well, Again, who you talk, you know, I'm talking to you, yeah, it's not like somebody came in and said, right, you know, right. Where's this plant? I want to, you know, <laughs> got to be a little bit. You know, along those lines, um, but not necessarily talking about the rarest of the rare. What are some of your favorite spots in the area in New Jersey? And again, I'm not asking you for oh, no. where's this oh. a weird, you know, well, I think there's still, orchid, there's still, I love Sussex County. Yeah. You know, Warren County. Yeah. I mean, you know, poke along the old mine road. It's just good general natural history. Gail looks at birds and I look at plants. And the plant that, so, that to me seems to, seems to have expanded over the decades is red trillium. I don't recall camping up in Stokes and High Point years ago and ever seeing a red trillium, but now I'm, I know at least half a dozen locations for it, mostly along the old mine road. So that that whole stretch. The road the road going up to, what's it called, the Blue Mountain Road or whatever, the road runs from, runs up the hill to that, to the Kittatinny, to the top of the Kittatinny Ridge. 
that that's 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 a good road. Cedar Swamp and High Point State Park. It's been a lot of years since I've been in there because it's such a miserable walk to get to mm-hmm. from the parking area. But I did a plant list there one time. That's 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 a neat area. Uh, New Jersey, um, down down South Jersey. Well, Brendan Byrne Park. Brendan Byrne gives you a nice overview of the Pine Barrens. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know climbing fern and, and that. Uh, not very much botanically not nothing particularly great in in this area. Uh, when I lived in North Jersey, Malin Dickerson Reservation yeah, was, yeah, was a neat place to poke, poke around in. You know, the 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 the, the Connection between the iron industry and conservation in New Jersey is sort of sort of interesting because a lot of the the big preserved lands were were partly you know iron kingdoms so to speak because the furnace owners had to acquire these enormous tracts of land and when they when they furnace was not a business these bankers and mortgage lenders and so on will wound up stuck with this land that was pretty much useless for agriculture and had been cut over, wasn't worth anything for the lumber on it. And they were able to, you know, sort of dump this land on the state and create fish and game lands and state parks and so on. Oh, that's really interesting. I never connected those things, but yeah. it's true, a lot of those parks up yeah, there. Like the Abraham Hewitt, you know, yeah. and all that, that kind of good stuff, Ringwood. No, certainly the Warden Tract, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think probably probably along the old mine. If I had if I had one place we keep going back to is up to Sussex County, looking up the old mine road and uh, uh, White Lake. Yeah, White Lake White is Lake, a fantastic. Uh, it hit it hit it good this past fall. It seemed like everything was in bloom at the same time. Oh, cool. You know? So you ended up doing plant survey work at White Lake and. You know other places presumably i'm curious about that that's something you were doing as a freelancer sort of yeah during or post audubon or? no during a lot yeah. of times when i was no. working yeah. for audubon yeah. i mean they they they, they were afraid to bother me you know they they <laughs> they left they left me alone thank goodness i had a local board that were included some people who were a real pain in the ass but and you know after i worked my 60 hours a week my time was my own it's your own business yeah. so i was able to you know, if I could manage to work five, twelve-hour days, you know, I'd get a couple of days off. So I was, yeah, I did some, I did some of that survey. I felt it was sort of part of my job too, actually, as long as it was local. Yeah. Some of them I got paid for, some I didn't, some I. What are I What are some for. sites that you ended up working at, and and also well, Carl? Did, well, let's see. I did yeah. well, okay. Did the. Who'd you end up working with, also? You oh, know. mostly by myself. Yeah. Mostly by myself. You know, you there's a if you're going to work with the you want if you wanted to survey a big area and you wanted to just forgetting just a complete survey, okay? I mean, you what if it was too if it was too big to do, you know, you'd, you'd in one shot you'd have to break it up into sections and yep. then if you're going to work with somebody else 
or if you were going to work, work, work with a team, I think you really would need a couple of good botanists. And but you don't want to, you don't want to do a sort of bio blitz thing with one expert and 10 people trailing along behind. No, no, then you're no, gonna no, use no. all your time yeah, pointing things out. Yeah. So what you want is, you, is, is, is maybe yourself and maybe one other, one other person. Yeah. And the other person doesn't have to be an expert, they have to have a good eye yeah. and, and to know the common things and say, oh, you see, you go on there. So, you, so you, don't, you don't get into a kind of a teaching mode. The idea is you can, you can walk along and write things down about as fast as you can see them. You don't want to, you know, your time becomes, your time isn't valuable because usually you're not getting paid very much, but you don't want to spend days and days doing a job you can knock off in a day. So, okay, Cedar Swamp on High Point State Park, Liberty State Park, the Portland Skinner Valley Trail, that was a fun mm, one, 20, yeah. 27 miles, 60 feet wide and 27 miles long. And I, I, I guess I covered it three times in the course of the, of the season. Uh, I did uh, the Palmyra Cove Nature Preserve right here under Route 73. Hawk Island is a sort of a peninsula on the southern shore of Rancocas Creek. I did that for, for a conservancy group. White Lake. Um, I did a well, but did a bunch of things at Bowman's Hill. Yeah, that's right. And I forget what else. There are there are others that come come to mind. Yeah. What what's your um? What would you bring out with you in the field, and what was your process like in terms of doing identifications? Uh, Were you bring stuff home with you, uh, or yeah, taking a manual yeah, around, yeah, or yeah, identify it in the field, and if you don't, they're not sure what it is. Yeah. Uh, take a specimen if you think it's there's enough of it to afford taking a yep. specimen. If if typically you're going to make multiple visits. So, oh, uh, Sadler's Woods and oh yeah over here that in Haddon Township I guess it is. But you figure you figure you're going. That was convenient. It was low cl close and Gail's family lives in Haddonfield, so I go up there. Nice. Uh, you 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 figure you're going to take probably three visits, at least. You know, let's say you know. Oh, I'm doing them down, throwing down at Scotland Run for, for a dam, you know, kind of informal. Yeah. Not too technical, but listing everything. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see the place place again, so you see something in the spring and say, well, I don't know what it is, but just make a mental note. Sure. I want to see what the heck. Yeah. Look at it again. I guess you could take a picture, but I'm not, I've never, I've never really gotten heavy into taking pictures. So yeah, basically, you know, you got a, you got you you got your field guide, maybe just to check or. Very rarely would I take a technical manual with me because again, you 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 you're dealing with time. You sit and spend an hour trying to key out a sedge, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not worth doing take, it take, in your take, field take, time. Take 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 a piece if yeah. you can. So. But that, that that's something I kind of recommend for somebody who's getting into into it is because it forces you identify th to identify things and look at things you otherwise wouldn't even look at. Yeah, that's right. You know, you're gonna. I I got to you know I I got to identify that grass. You know. Yeah. 
so it forces you forces you to look at things and it does get you to look at, at you know look at the real you realize the ecological differences you suddenly go into a an area where there's a different set of floors what happened what's the difference here yeah you go from wetland to an upland or you know the north side of the south side of a of a ravine that that sort of yeah. thing you see that you see the difference I did, wet, I did I did wetlands in the delineation too on the side. That was sort of a an interesting exercise. You got you got to know something about soils. Do you ever find yourself fixating on a particular group of plants? Like I'm sh- some people we might know in common with, uh, you know, dicantheliums or sedges or what have you. Dicantheliums, dicantheliums. Is there anything that I, that kind I, of I, captured your imagination I, or obsession well, I, for a while? I'm, I'm, if if somebody's actually read the jungle books as opposed to seeing as a cartoon movie okay right mowgli is talking to the big python uh, the, the the bear the bear and the panther are talking to the big python python to try to get this big python to help him get mowgli out of trouble you know and they talk about the monkey folk and they and cars and python and they say can you what you know? Can you help us with the monkey folk? Because monkeys, fuck. I take them when they come my way, but hunt them never. That's sort of the way I feel about sedges and grass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but but uh, oh, ferns. I just like ferns. Yeah, so I go on my way to do go ferns. I got into lichens. That was an interesting thing because in the pine barrens you got a lot of on the substrate you have these areas where lichens are so almost dominant. And I thought to myself, well, well, that was probably 1975 when I first came down here. That's in, pine barrens are easy to understand, by the way. Nothing, you know, it's all sand, you know. <laughs> they, you know, there's dry sand and there's wet sand, but it's all sand, you know, pretty much. Uh, I said, well, there can't be more than about a dozen of these damn things. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I went up with a collection of 700 specimens wow. about 12 years later because uh, I was doing a lot of traveling. I mean, I came back from Churchill, I got a bag full of lions, <laughs> you know. That was before they checked your, that was that was before they really checked your bags very carefully. I was thinking, I just, all this stuff. Uh, partly stuff I, I collect, partly things I, not, not, 700 species probably about mm-hmm. probably about half that number of species some of which i had collected myself in my travels and some of which from new jersey and, some and what which, kind of resources were using to key out lichens they, and back one, in what, they, what did you say 1975 or it was it was mason hales how to know the how to know the lichens i'll show you the book it's okay yeah. uh, how to know the lichens and a bunch of technical publications and I joined the Biological Society and they had a lichen exchange you know if you had some lichens from your area you can like a stamp exchange you can post them and you know trade I'll trade you one specimen of British soldiers for a specimen of you know some obscure thing from Alaska but and then I actually wound up I actually wound up curating the Rutgers collection. Oh, nice. I went up there, went up there, figured I'll I'll, I'll get some, I want to see what some of these things look like. They had, 
now they're sort of in. People seem to be really, there are people looking at lichens. Hard. You know, it seems like there's sort of word on the street is that you can use lichens as an ecological indicator right. in certain ways. Right, exactly. Right? For yeah. the age of a forest, say, or age for other and kinds and of disturbance. Air quality, too. Is that something that you were perceiving when you were. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, that was already, that was, that was, that was, that was well known. Like okay. the, Brits, yeah. the Brits actually were doing some citizen science stuff with lichens. Huh. You know, to monitor air pollution, give somebody a card with a bunch of can you can you find this species or that species? You ever find a lichen, say in the Pine Barrens, and say, oh, you know, this is like an indicator species, yeah. and I should look for X, Y, Z other right, interesting like, plant or whatever. Like that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I was having, went up to Rutgers, and I I took pity on them, and I took some time. I put it all in nice. Got the nomenclature up to date and checked all the identifications and put them in a cabinet and nice kind of a card file kind of kind of bunch of little envelopes you know put a little piece of scotch tape on the <laughs> on the drawer <laughs> came back about five years later for another for another purpose and looked at that same drawer scotch tape was still on there <laughs> so. But I think now, I mean, Lendemer has, well, yeah. I've never met, he's got to check it. It's a list of the list of the lichens of New Jersey, which yeah. is good. So, yeah, that was, the, that, that, and that was the thing about that was you could do it any time, you know, any time of year. That was a, that was a, looking, doing, what kind of, what kind of botanical trips can you do in the winter? Well, you get tired of looking at buds, but lichens are, yeah. lichens were nice to study. And it was a good Open people's eyes to an open open people's eyes to an area that they probably never noticed. You know these little dirty gray things on tree yeah. bark. You know, so yeah. they've lichens, lichen, lichens and ferns. I think sub subconsciously I expect a dinosaur to emerge from the ferns. I think when I was a little kid, you know, I knew that well, these things have been around for five hundred million years, and maybe some big labyrinthodont is still. Still lingering in the in the ostrich ferns. I still get that feeling from some of the ferns, like yeah. the Goldie's wood fern. Yeah, yeah. The crozier's when they're all curled up. Yeah. It's just this massive looking gnarly yeah. thing. And yeah, ostrich fern, big source. Does ostrich fern occur away from the Delaware River? There's a location in Bergen County, and I think it's been planted. Okay. okay. But I think otherwise it's pretty much in the Delaware River drainage. And it's the... The southernmost one, I think, is on is is on the Crosswick Creek. Oh wow, interesting. Which is, of course, is drainage. It's on Island and Crosswick Creek, right about where Route Five Thirty Seven crosses the creek. There's a Crosswick Creek Greenway. Yeah. I guess it's Monmouth. I haven't Greenway. explored that area, but I always pass by on Two Ninety Five. There's some wild rice around there somewhere yeah, too, right? Yeah, I always wanted yeah. to get down there. And that's check about. It out. That's. Crosswick Creek is about the furthest. Well, a lot of that is is part of the uh, what the hell do they call it? Abbott marshlands. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's about as far south as you get your kind of good floodplain far with Mertensia and Toothwort and so on. Yeah. You know, there's old there's old records there's old records from. Gloucester County and, and Camden County of things like Ludroot and so on, but very, very, very rare. When I first came down here, so there were some local bo old-time botanists down here who showed me around 
in uh, like Marlton and Woodstown and so on. Woods more uh, more this way, Woodstown and so forth, Deptford, and they showed me a couple of spots where there was some of that sort of North Jersey f flora. And I haven't the foggiest notion where they are. I didn't know the names of the streets at the yeah. town yeah. at the time, and I didn't know the area. And uh, I've got a note, new road, and I think they may have simply said, this is a new road. But yeah. the, there are some old records, you know, north-facing slopes. And that's partially because the soils down here are different. We're in the yeah. intercoastal plain. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah, so no, some of those spots are more limey or well the the the, the green sand marl is apparently mm -hmm. a, a bit high ph okay and, yeah and some of those you know you get you get some of the more tolerant things but yeah you know wild wild geranium and violets and showy orchid and yeah. that, that's nice. of course the area has been settled for 300 years too 400 years now yeah, so that's that's a that's a fact you look at the old 1930 maps this was all farm it's been farmed and cut and cut and farmed and burned and you know it's pristine land is only in the only in the ravines so there were some people kind of showing you around when you were yeah, my first yeah, yeah they, who they, were who were some of the people who were you know mentors a guy named Carl Bresler Carl and Lydia Bresler uh, you never see his name in any place I can tell you where his cemetery where he's buried Ed Manners you see his name in the old birding observations you know Carl and Mimi Glass a couple of you know, nice old time, old the old time naturalist types. Mm. You know, not not professionals, just amateurs of that of that, of that tradition. You know, when looking at nature was something people did. You know, we're the last of the nineteenth century. Now I forget the last. We're the last of the nineteenth century naturalists. You know. Yeah, yeah. You feel it's it's really different now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that something that you perceived even because you were, I mean, you weren't teaching in a school, but you were basically an educator. Yeah. Did you see that transition happen? Yeah, I think so. What do you think fueled that, that shift? Fear. Yeah. People are afraid to be able to do it. Yeah. And is that just because they're increasingly from an urban background and they're disassociated or is I'm it something sure. else fueled that sure. fear? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know because you you know you don't don't have enough experience talking to people who are outside of the natural history field. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the people are sort of in the abstract. They want a green lawn, you know, but they don't really to 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 want to preserve something. You have to know something about it. You have to be aware of it and people are and I think many people are not even aware of it it's like I say there's big green things little green things just a pain in the ass even 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 birders I've, I know birders who almost think I'm silly because I know the names of plants sure they're, they're, they're working on their 1,000th life bird but and they've been to places like Ghana and you know 
Rwanda and Patagonia, but they still don't know what's a tree in their backyard. Would never don't have a clue. I've heard I've heard the called I've heard it called plant blindness. I'm sure I'm sure you know that term. I've heard that as well. I, I don't really know. People don't grow up with it. It's not that's not part of our culture. So that's where you know you say okay anything you want to do you do a, do an edible plant course anything that anything you do that anything that do that does anything you you do as a as an instructor get that however I might think that's sort of kooky get people to connect with the subject yeah. that yes 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 yes. Yeah, to me that's a way that people have always related to plants, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's sort of elemental. It's like well, if you can go like... in the supermarket and pick out the difference between collards and kale, right. you're doing taxonomy, right? Yeah. So just take that and put that in your yard. And, you know, if it's something edible, there's a little more excitement. Yeah. And there's also a little bit more risk. Like, yeah. you, you got to get it right. You know, yeah. if you're like, okay, I'm going to go and eat something. Right. It yeah. causes you to have that attention to that's detail right. that you might otherwise just say, "Oh, that's a, it's a green maple, thing. It's yeah. a maple oak, <laughs> you know." Yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody, thinking about, you know, Native American. Take, 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 Native American plant lore. You know, yeah. people sort of. You get a call. I do a little cheap nature, that little nature column. I don't get paid for it, but it gives me gives me something to do. But. You know the the notion. Wow. Indigenous people know the plants. You you you. To us in Western Western civilization, we think of how could they do that without having a book. Right. But think of the forest as their home. And. That's where they live, and growing up in a house like this, you could sit in that chair, and you could name it. If you could, you would they could name everything in that room. You're going to wind up with a list of a couple of hundred things. You know, say I've got, yeah. a, I've got a, yeah, that's a right. lamp. I've got a picture with a, you know, I've got a couple of hundred things. You don't, you don't remember how you knew them. Nobody, nobody exactly taught you to taught you that that thing is a lamp and that's a lampshade on it and that's a curlicue up on top of that nobody taught you that you just sort of learned it in the course of living well that's how an indigenous person would know what the plants are and if somebody came in here from outside and asked you who is you know and, and you know from some other culture and asked you well, what is what is that I have no idea what that is and you said you said lamp yeah. in the back of your mind you'd be thinking this person don't even know what a fucking lamp is so I'm thinking that's that's the way some Lenape would have would have felt when some European asks you know yeah. what's it does oh, Katniss you think I got guy Pink guy doesn't even know that that's Katniss. Don't everybody know that? Yeah. That seems like a great. Peter Kalm is a Peter Kalm makes a pretty good. He's a pretty good read. 
Yeah, he wrote a lot about this area. Yeah. Right. Well, Carl, you know, don't everybody know that? That seems like <laughs> a great place to end. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you taking this time with me because I feel like... Oh, it's fun. There's so many details that one picks up in one's life. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to get at some of those details and some of what, every time we've hung out, you've always had good and funny stories and you're kind enough to share some of your journals with me and I didn't end up asking you about them, but I'm very impressed by how consistent and meticulous spare, but well-written those are, you know, it could be a day where you just, you know, you drove up to uh, an Audubon staff meeting, which you always had some <laughs> pithy. So, Carl, how did you feel about those Audubon staff meetings? Yeah. I feel like I'm going to just put words in your mouth from your journal. <laughs> Another fucking staff meeting. What a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> well, but you have this incredible of, journaling that you've done uh, for, yeah, what, for decades. That's my souvenir. Yeah, well, that's my souvenir. That's my souvenirs of trips too. You know, that's fantastic. I never did. I never got heavy into photography. But when I when I first, mm-hmm. you know, photography was you know pictures. And Film is cheap now. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you're gonna take. And there's one more thing to hump around in the field. You've got oh, your yeah. binoculars and your books, and now i got to carry your camera. Yep. So I did a little of it, but I said, ah, it's, 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 it's too much. And sometimes I sometimes I, I miss pictures. Even foreign tours, I know what an elephant looks like. I don't need a picture of an elephant. Right. You know? So do you, do you sit down every night at a certain time and say, like, I'm going to write my journal? Or how do you keep that consistency of... Well, if something happens, I mean, some, yeah. you know, some, you know, when I, I, I really started keeping it in, actually, my wife started keep my first wife started keeping it back in the, back in the 60s. And it was just weather, weather and birds. So, you know, that's probably more valuable than from, from a, from a scientific oh, viewpoint. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, but then when I started doing, doing traveling and started doing tours, as well you want to know you're in a strange place and you want to know what you saw but you also want to know things how far is it to go to the nearest yeah. bathroom that kind of thing where, where, where did you stop I want to be able to repeat this trip where did I go what did I do uh, so I don't I don't I don't write something up every day if uh, if nothing much happened I don't write anything but if there's something worth mentioning I'll write it I feel like it's those details. I have a friend who's a writer, and he talks about much the same thing. Like, you could write about anything, but wouldn't it be nice to know exactly, like, you know, what did a Charleston Chew cost in 1981, or what were the top six magazines on the rack at the right. store at 84th yeah. and Broadway in you right. know, in, in yeah. August of 1983? Because those are the kind of, I feel like it's those details that yeah. we latch on to that that anchor our stories right it's pretty cool and i i understand now your incentive for writing that because we've repeated some trips too and it's like what was that motel we stayed at that wasn't (laughs) disgusting and filthy was it the you know was it the this suites or the that suites or the best western or the whatever and what was the best time you know what, you know, yeah, yeah, I want to exactly. go. When when did we go there? When I catch the when was the Sullivantia in Yeah, Rome when or was this like blooming? Because I got to take a class out there or whatever. That makes a lot of sense. I actually went back to. I was in Churchill. Co-leading a bird tour in 1985. And I was leading a tour, 
1995. It was one of the few places I've been that Gail hasn't been, so two years ago we went up to Churchill. And here you could really see the changes, really see the changes. I mean, the birding was, birds had crashed. Wow. Very, very little. Well, we, were, we weren't there at the optimum time. Gail and I weren't there for the optimum time for birding because I wanted to see the, the plants. Yeah. You're familiar with Joe, Jim, Jim Fowler, the photographer? He's got a blog. No. Okay, he's, he travels and he takes beautiful pictures. In fact, he's the, he's the photographer who's, who did the photos for this upcoming Orchid series of postage stamps. Oh, wow. Uh, he has, a, he has cool. a blog, and I was reading his blog, and he was in Churchill. So I said, you know, I ought to get back up there. And So we came in. Sorry, I, knew, I knew it was a little late. Tell us all where Churchill is. Church, oh, it's on the shores of Hudson Bay, but, uh, on the west side, maybe about halfway up. It's where the Churchill River enters Hudson Bay, and it's 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 famous for its polar bears. It's the town that the polar bears come into in the, in the fall, because there's a big polar bear reserve nearby. Gotcha. And it was it's from a birding viewpoint, it was where uh, a lot of birds would sort of stop over who were actually migrating farther north. So you could see some, you know, and it was also a breeding area for many species of shorebirds. In fact, in the old old American Museum of Natural History, had in the Hall of Birds, they had a whole diorama. It was just Fort Churchill. Nice. Okay, uh, and we had gone in my older trips. I was there. We were there birding, so I went this time. It was a little bit late for the birding season, but I had expected to see a lot of shorebirds still around. So very, very, very little. And I looked into it afterwards. The populations have crashed. Okay, and the the environment is environment is changing. That the tundra is now growing up to a scrubland. It's getting warmer. It was interesting though because we that particular year the Railroad had, there used to be a railroad service to town, and the railroad was out of business. And so to fly into it, the, the, air, the airport in Churchill couldn't build up a big supply of refuel, of fuel to refuel a plane. So we had to fly north of Churchill and come back south. So we flew into a place called Rankin Inlet, like 250 miles north of Churchill. And that was a fun place to look into. If I were, you know, like, that's north of the tree line. That's yeah. really, that's really, really north. The 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 uh, the airline is called First Air, and they serve all all of Canada, including these little villages. And the the cabin announcement were in English, French, and Inuktut. Say, so how about that? <laughs> but, but the, but the birding the the botany was good. Botany was great, you know, whole slopes full of little orchids, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm glad we went. But it was an interest an interesting trip. So yeah, there's a lot of changes over over that amount of time. You know, it's really really happening, really happening up there. So yeah. So now how did I get onto that subject? I think I was wrapping up, and then okay. I ended up asking you about three more questions. Yeah. Carl. So, okay, it's fun. Until next time. Yeah, hey, keep selling those plants. Thanks. Doing the teaching. Say hello to say hello to your wife.
Is she still working? She's working for you, probably. Well, I'm working for her. <laughs> no, I mean, in fairness, we're a, we're a part, we're an equal partnership. She okay. does actually a lot of the nursery mm-hmm. work. Um, she manages the nursery. I think what we found is that we can't be completely doing the exact same thing at all times, or else we'll just get in each other's face too much, mm-hmm. right? So we need to delegate in some way. So she's sort of in charge of most aspects of the nursery, although I. I tend to hold on to the seed collecting and propagation aspect. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm out doing field work. Yeah. It, it just kind of makes it makes natural sense. But yeah, Rachel says hi. Yeah. My first my first wife was also my teacher naturalist. Nice. So yeah, yeah, it was a little got to split it up somehow. And you know, you don't want to be the boss of your spouse, but then again. Without any roles, you but know, we, we needed we need a division of labor of some yeah. kind to make things hum. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how it is. That's good. Great, Carl. I'm gonna stop the tape here, and thanks so much. Okay. Okay.